You are now listening to episode 72 of No Truce Barred. And in this episode, we're going to examine the crisis at our nation's border that's happening to Haitian immigrants. Check this episode out. Listen, like, comment, share, and subscribe. Take care, peace, and enjoy the episode. Peace, what's going on? Salutations, welcome back to a brand new episode of No Truths Barred, the best up and coming podcast on the internet. And I'm your host, Hoyke Waku Timmons. Listen, I want to thank you guys for tuning into this particular episode. And I will be remiss if I do not take the beginning of this particular episode to thank everybody who's contributed any sort of uh, constructive criticism, positive feedback people that have decided to leave a like, a comment, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I thank you guys deeply from the bottom of my heart. I do not take it for granted. Also, I have some news. So if you've been watching any of my previous episodes, you know that I always tell people to follow me on the Hoyt Kuwaku Timmons page, so that H-O-Y-T underscore K-W-A-K-U underscore Timmons, T-I-M-M-O-N-S. So At the end of September, that page is going to be no longer in use. Also, my other page, which is underscore No Truths Barred podcast, will not be in use either. So if you want to follow me on Instagram and see all of the newest content, make sure you go to the T-H-E underscore No Truths Barred podcast. That's the brand new Instagram page. I'm building it up from scratch because, you know, I want a new start. And I just want to do things a little bit differently on that particular page. Uh, So once again, thank you guys for following me. Also, shout out to all of the guests that I've had on my platform. I thank you guys for coming on. Uh, I actually recorded an episode with two guests last week that was going to premiere this week. But some technical difficulties kind of stopped that from going down. So I'll be having them back on uh, later in the month at the latest, possibly early November. But uh, thank you guys for 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 just the support. I can't thank you enough, and I want to continue to grow this platform. So without further ado, um, I just want to get into something really quick tonight. Uh, <clears throat> uh, as you know, you've been watching the news. You've been seeing what's been going on at our nation's southern border uh, with Haitian immigrants. And it's really appalling as to what's going on. But I think in order to properly understand the disdain that we have for Haitian people, to properly understand the contempt, the perennial contempt that the West, the West has had for Haiti. And when I say the West, I'm not just talking about the United States. I'm also talking about France, Britain and Germany at one point in the early 20th century. They were trying to uh, maintain control um, and colonize, excuse me, colonize and dominate Haiti at a particular point in the earlier part of the 20th century. But I'm mentioning all of these Western powers that directly or indirectly benefited from Haiti or Haiti. And the problem is that we have a, a, a such a ingrained, a such a such an ossified concept 
of race. And race itself is a pseudo a pseudoscientific concept. There's no biological evidence to really support any innate differences based on one's phenotype. There's really nothing to support that. But our disdain for Haiti as a nation um, and as, as other uh, Western countries go, um, it comes from slavery and it also comes from the Haitian Revolution. Uh, so when you look at the Haitian Revolution, just really briefly, the Haitian Revolution started uh, August, uh, August 19th or August 21st, excuse me, um, 1791. The revolution started in 1791 and it lasted all the way through 1804 um, when General Dessalines uh, became the first ruler of the first independent republic, a uh, black republic in the world and the second independent nation after the United States. And technically, uh, the, 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 the revolution really ended like November 9th, 1803. But officially in 1804, that's when Dessalines really became the, the ruler of uh, Haiti or Haiti. So it goes back to that because what the French did, the French, excuse me, what the Haitians did, they gave a black eye to the French. Napoleon Bonaparte is somebody that should not have been defeated or much less humiliated by a bunch of slaves. That's something that shouldn't have happened. But when you look at the Haitian Revolution, there's a lot of contradictions here, especially in the United States, especially in many parts of Europe. When you look at the very uh, nascence of the United States, what is it predicated upon? What is what what is the, the seed, the catalyst for what would become the United States? It was revolution. It was revolution against taxation by Great Britain. It was revolution against this colony, or excuse me, or this country being across the other side of the ocean, but still being able to dictate the lives of the people here living in what would become the United States, uh, the United States of America in these colonies here. We praise revolution in our, you know, in our uh, history classes, in our movies, we glorify it. Let's take it back even earlier. We make whole movies and TV shows around people like Spartacus, um, Spartacus, which uh, who, who led the slave rebellion um, in the Roman Empire. We revere these people, we make movies around them. But the toxicity of race is just so entrenched in our culture. It's become the framework for our culture, like. And I can't remember why I heard this, but uh, essentially black people trying to fight just to be treated like human beings, it seemed like uh, a, a slight towards rest Western civilization because a lot of the framework for Western civilization is predicated upon the subjugation of one demographic of people. And it just so happened to evolve to become that black people would represent that perennial underclass. And so when you look at the, the Haitian Revolution, um, people like <clears throat> people like, you know, some of the leaders of the, of the revolution, like uh, Zamba Bukman or Bukman Dadi, who was one of the early leaders who started the uprising. And uh, one of the interesting things about him is that it's kind of like debate a little bit about 
uh, his religious background. So some people said that he got the name Bookman because he was actually a Muslim slave and he carried around a copy of the Quran. <clears throat> and so they called him Bookman because of that. Some say it was because he was an extremely astute, extremely uh, informed uh, and, and was a learned man. And, and that may have been another reason. Some said that he he kind of practiced like uh, an amalgamation of like Islam and other African like uh, practices such as Vudon as well. So, you know, he's a really interesting character. Maybe on another podcast, I'll go a little bit more into him. But, you know, you have people like him. You have people like uh, Toussaint Louverture, uh, General Desalines, uh, just to name a few. There were many others as well. But these people were influenced by what? What the French were dealing with. When the French wanted to overthrow the monarchy of King Louis XVI, they did it. And it was to liberate the people that were living under that tyranny. And you have uh, uh, political parties such as the, uh, the Jacobins. Um, and I think one of the members of that was like Maximilian Robespierre. And the, this political party was fervent and radical and getting rid of the French monarchy. And it's celebrated. Really, without the French Revolution, you don't even get a Napoleon Bonaparte. And it's celebrated. But when these Haitians, these enslaved Africans, these people that were ripped uh, from their homelands and were brought over to the Western Hemisphere, when they decide to throw a revolution, it's frowned upon. I remember I saw something with Pat Robinson, uh, the guy with the 700 Club, 700 Club, who's a huge hypocrite, by the way, and a pseudo-Christian, in my opinion. But Pat Robinson said something. When they had the 2010 earthquake, he said that the reason that Haiti or Haiti is in the position that it's in is because they made a deal with the devil in, over to, in order to overthrow the French. So the Haitians had to make a deal with the devil in order to fight and get their liberation. So what you say when you imply that these enslaved human beings who wanted to be treated like human beings, who were getting worked to the bone, dying in, in vast amounts of numbers, subject to rape, and other forms of cruel and unusual punishment, they had to make a deal with the devil, which you're saying by default is that God ordained behavior, which the French imparted upon the Haitian people or the various Africans that would come together to eventually constitute the Haitian people. So he says that, but why is it when uh, the colonists wanted to get their liberation from the British crown, did they make a deal with the devil? Did the Germans that came in to assist, um, excuse me, the German and mercenaries and the French that came in to assist the Americans against the British, were all of those, in, those people in cahoots with the devil for their liberation? It just shows you, and I'm going somewhere with this, it shows you just how unfair just how idiotic this concept of race is and how it governs even over, over the people that are supposed to be leaders. It just shows you that. The other problem with the Haitian Revolution is that it invoked fear throughout the rest of the world and other slaveholding uh, societies, primarily the United States of America. 
They were scared that what happened in Haiti, what happened in Haiti was going to happen here. How dare enslaved Africans that were looked at as less than human, how dare them want to be treated like a person? How dare them want it to be treated like a human being? Your property, your lifeless, you are an automaton of slavery. You have no cognition. You have no ability to, to choose. You, you, don't, you don't have any aptitude. You are just a tool of labor. And that's what's been ingrained and that's what's been inculcated in the mind of the West. But within that, with the Haitian Revolution, one of the biggest things that came from that is the fact that Napoleon felt that it really wasn't worth holding on to Haiti, to holding on to that particular island um, and other territories and also the Western territory, the Louisiana territory that the French had here in the United, or what would become the United States. And so you see the, the, Louisiana, the Louisiana purchase, excuse me, it doubled the size of the United States. And arguably, arguably, the United States wouldn't have become the empire that it is now without the Louisiana purchase. So we see that. We see that the Haitian Republic, once they became a republic, they helped other countries in Latin America uh, get their freedom, primarily uh, Peru and Venezuela. I think it might have just been Venezuela. I can't. I, I'm sorry on that, guys. But they played, they played a pivotal role in helping other countries gain freedom. Matter of fact, after the uh, after the Civil War, because with the Civil War, this was not about freeing black people, but the Civil War essentially was the union trying to find a way to cripple the Southern economy. Uh, and for example, here in Virginia, as you know, after 1808, when the British officially officially declared the transatlantic slave trade illegal, although you still had uh, pirates, other rogue ships still transporting Africans from uh, Africa this, to this side of the Atlantic, after 1808, um, and and, and uh, that transatlantic slave trade was just essentially cut off. After that, after that happened, uh, Virginia became became a hub for for uh, selling enslaved Africans to other parts of the South. And so that's why here in Richmond, uh, you have things like Lumpkin's Jail, the Devil's Half Acre, uh, uh, the the concept of being sold down the river. Um, these things were real things. You know, Richmond had like a lot of urban plantations and whatnot, but that's a different you know, topic for a different time. Um, but essentially, Virginia uh, has so many surplus Africans to the fact that if you were in the state of Virginia and you got your freedom, you had a year to get out of the state or else your your uh, your manumission papers would, would become null and void and you would go back into servitude. Uh, and then I remember coming across scant sources where Virginia at one point was not even allowing other black people to come here because it was just so many black people in the state of Virginia. And uh, one of the things Lincoln was talking about is that after the war, potentially um, sending black people to Haiti, that was one of the things that he was looking at after the Civil War, had he had lived, 
is to possibly remove black people from the country and send them down to Haiti, you know, because he believed that black people and white people couldn't coexist in this country. And so that was like something that he wanted to, to do. So uh, the Haitian Revolution had a, an extremely uh, pivotal role um, in this nation's history and in the world's history, the world's history, to be honest with you. Sorry if I'm getting, pardon me, I'm sorry if I'm getting tongue tied on this episode tonight. Been a long day, been kind of tired, but um, I actually really want to talk about this because I wasn't planning on coming back officially until next week. But this was just something, you know, briefly I wanted to speak on that was near and dear to my heart. And, you know, I, I feel like I need to kind of just give my opinion on it. But let's look at briefly. And I want to kind of, you know, this is really, really surface level uh, history that I'm doing here about Haiti or Haiti. So what about intervention? Has this country really been able to stand on their own and to not have any outside involvement? Well, in 1825, France, you know, showed back up and they had warships and they were like, hey, in order for you to stay sovereign, we demand that you pay us uh, 100 million francs. Okay. In 1838, they reduced it down to about 90 million francs, which will be equivalent to about $21 billion in today's economy. And then also not only did France want them to pay these, this indemnity, but in addition to that, they wanted all exports at 50% off. So basically the, the, the Haitians could not even really make up enough money to properly pay them. And I think they finally were able to pay the indemnity off. And, and my Haitian historians, you can correct me on this. I think they were able to finally pay it off, pay it off in 1947, but they still were in economic ruins. And then later on, you will have the International Monetary Fund come with these structural adjustment loans that just throw countries, not, on, not only Haiti, but other countries like that into more debt enslaving them to like Western interests. So it's just this perpetual ball of debt that's there to stop this country from coming up and being able to be a sovereign, powerful nation that it could potentially be. Not only that, you know, you had uh, outside forces that would instigate political instability in Haiti, uh, constant assassinations. You had corrupt leadership um, as well, puppet leadership. Um, at behest of the United States. And also, uh, one of the things that Haiti wanted to do, unlike the Dominican Republic, was that Haiti wanted to control its own money, its own currency, its own banking system. And the United States fervently wanted to uh, impose upon that. And so um, eventually you have representatives from what would become Citibank going there. And uh, Citibank actually... Uh, profited and made money off of the indemnity payments as well. And later on, this money uh, from these indemnity payments or this money that not even just from that, but other monies uh, that Citibank was making would go to fund the honeymoon of a young governor from Arkansas um, and his wife uh, to Haiti. So um, you can look that part up on your own. And so we see this involvement. We see the political instability. 
And what I think it comes down to is this. The concept of race is so ossified in our culture. The fact is this. We still see black people as not being human. And for us to be a progressive society or claim to be a progressive society, we should really be at the point where all people, not just black people, not just white people, every human being should want to know why another group of human beings are suffering. If we're truly a nation and we're looking at this theoretically as an American family and we're looking at humanity, we're not looking at phenotype, we're not looking at a race, we're not looking at a religion, and we're looking at those people over there suffering because those people over there are us. You know, we're all homo sapiens. We all have the same amount of chromosomes. Uh, we all have, I would assume we all have the same size prefrontal cortex. We all have the aptitude or the uh, or the Fox P2 gene, which enables language. This is something that's ubiquitous in all homo sapiens, despite uh, ethnicity, culture, uh, uh, religion, etc. And if we have that sort of lens, we have that sort of framework, then it's asinine in this day and time to still use these antiquated concepts of weight of racial superiority to, to uh, be the gauge in how we interface with those that are different from us. And as we see, it's still an issue in 2021. It's still an issue here in the United States, as we can see with police brutality, as we can see in the fact of um, how African-Americans are charged higher interest rates, whether it comes to a, a car loan, a mortgage, business loan, than their non-Black counterparts. You know, this is still a perspective that's still very much powerful and preponderant uh, in today's society. And so when I saw the, the images of Haitians being rounded up on horseback, when I saw the fact that these people were trying to get here, and let's go back, when initially you had a lot of Haitians that were fleeing Haiti after the 2010 uh, earthquake, and they went into Central America, and a lot of Mexican officials kind of halted them, but recently they've been able to, to move up and get close to the U.S. border to make it here to the United States. And so what I want to say is this. <clears throat> We always have this saying that this country is a nation of immigrants. That's what it is. And the beauty of the American experiment, the beauty of this nation is that you have people coming from all over the world. And we're not a nation, allegedly, we're not a nation that's based upon bloodlines. We're not a nation, allegedly, that's not based upon phenotype. Allegedly, we're not based upon these things. What we're based upon is being a gumbo of, of various cultures that come together and make this nation, which is called the United States. Now, aside from African-Americans who were, were uh, brought here against their will, every other group is an immigrant. If you look at the 1790s, when you started to have German immigrants come, you look later on, you started to have uh, Irish and Italian immigrants coming to the United States. And funny enough, when you look at the treatment of the Irish and the Italians when they first came here, it was pretty brutal. Assaults, killings, lynchings being talked down upon. Because uh, if you look at the, the really Britain after the Seven Years' War, 
and especially as the British Empire expanded um, and in the, in the mid to the latter part of the, uh, of the 19th century, um, what you started to have was the fact that Anglo-Saxon ideals, not Greek ideals, not Italian ideals, not Irish ideals, English Anglo-Saxon ideals were the standard for what acceptable culture was in Europe. So over here uh, and in Europe, other parts of the world, every other culture in Western Europe was seen as being uh, subjacent to the Anglo-Saxon culture. And so a lot of times when different uh, European groups came to this country, they came and assimilated into this pseudo false concept of whiteness, which isn't real. Just like being black, you know, on paper. Yeah. It, it, but we're people, you know. Um, <laughs> so when you look at it from that perspective, this is a nation of immigrants. Uh, when Obama was was uh, was in office, one of the things that Obama did was that he wanted to he did he did the DACA thing for the people that came here that were born here, but their parents, you know, came here illegally, but they were born here and, and all of that good stuff. And when we saw people coming up from Honduras, we see people coming up from other parts of Latin America. We have this agape love for them. You know, we try to figure out how we can get them citizenship. And I'm not even saying that that's the wrong thing to do. Because if I was in that situation and I, and I thought, or I had an idea that if I could just get to this other country and have a better life for myself and my family, who blames me for trying to do it? It's nothing wrong with that. But now here's, here's where the hypocrisy comes in at. Just like I was pointing out earlier, we can make movies, we can write books, you can, you know, Spartacus this or George Washington that or Paul Revere this, but you demonize Toussaint Louverture. You demonize Dessalines. Why? The American Revolution was just as vicious and brutal against the British as the Haitian Revolution was against the French. What Spartacus did was just as brutal against the Romans. But it's something that we, it's a perspective that we have where if it's non-black revolution where people are standing up for their rights and standing up against the tyranny of overseers, then it's okay and we celebrate it. But if it's these black people on this island over here, they had to get the help of the devil. Oh, their island is in economic ruins because they're, they're in allegiance with Satan. Never mind uh, debt, never mind indemnity, never mind constant intervention from outside countries. None of that played a part. But what played a part was that they made a deal with the devil. So when, I, when, when, when you see this, it's an unfair treatment. It's unfair treatment. So people that's coming from Hadoras, people that's coming from other parts of Central America, we are like, okay, how can we figure out a way to get them citizenship? 
And if you go back to the 90s, there were Haitian immigrants that tried to come here. Bill Clinton had them sent back quickly. And as much as we love Bill Clinton, we have to talk about that. Just like over the past 10 years, everybody wants to talk about the 94 crime bill as well. So we have to mention these things. It's not about race. It's not about superiority or any of this nonsensical stuff that, you know, us as human beings, as, as homo sapiens, we want to use to prop one another up. It's just about history. It's just about politics. It's just about the truth. It's just about telling the facts as they are and nothing more or nothing less. That's what it's about. That's what it comes to. And so when I see these people here and I think about all of the concessions that we've made for different groups coming out of Latin and Central America, but yet with these Haitians, we expeditiously are pushing them out, going around on horseback like these people are animals to round them up. We cannot even in 2021 acknowledge the humanity still of black people in pain. And it's sad, it's disgusting, and I hate it. There has not been any change. Our progress is superficial at best. And when we see these people that just want a, 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 a fair shot to live decently and we treat them like this. My other thing is to my, my, my fellow uh, uh, Americans, my fellow brothers and sisters from uh, Honduras, El Salvador and these places, people that were trying to escape cartels who came here and who may have came here illegally or whatever circumstance. Many black people were on your side. Many uh, Democrats, liberals, etc., were on your side. I hope that you haven't gone through that. You would look at what the Haitians are going through and be advocates for them to come here and get the same concessions that you received as well. I hope that you advocate for them to come here and become citizens, citizens, excuse me, and experience the freedoms of America that you're now enjoying. And also, I want to speak briefly to uh, my Haitian Americans, brothers and sisters as well. Uh, I want to speak to you guys. So one of the, the issues I've seen is that uh, one of the issues I've seen is that there's a disconnect between black Americans and people in Africans born in Africa and black people in the Caribbean as well. And I've met a few Haitians, you know, and, and I know some, some friends of mine, they're Haitian as well. Not all. I just want to point this out. It's not all. But there's a thing amongst like uh, uh, Guyanese people, Haitian people, Jamaican people where they come and they take a condescending stance towards black Americans. You know, you look at, um, for example, uh, Nigerians have a term for black Americans that, that they refer to as a kata. They'll call black Americans a kata, which means like, uh, I think it's like less than or feral animal or dog or something like that. Uh, I've met Haitian people where they've said black Americans are lazy. They don't like to work. 
and taking a really almost racist kind of view against black Americans. So this is what I want to say to you guys. You see what's going on at the border. You see the treatment of Haitians. I hope you know that just because you're from Haiti or you're Jamaica, from Jamaica or from a country in Africa, that you're not exempt from the sort of treatment that black Americans are experiencing. And also on a larger scale, in a racist society that has an asinine, backward, idiot, idiotic belief in the concept of race and that race superiority is a real thing, you are judged off of your phenotype. We are the ones that make the lines of demarcation between ourselves, that I'm a black American. I'm, uh, you know, uh, Asante. I'm from Ghana. I'm from uh, I'm Wolof. I'm from Haiti, whatever it is. We make those distinctions and the society at large does not. And they still have the racist treatment of all of us. And it's something that we have to work to fix and to get rid of this, this, this concept of racism, because like I say all the time, it's not found in the science. It's nothing biologically you can prove or get to verify that. And so, uh, to wrap this up, you know, in, in closing, um, the Biden administration is doing an abysmal job at handling this crisis at the border. They are. And furthermore, you know, I, I haven't really been a, a Joe Biden supporter. I'm not a Donald Trump supporter either. You know, I'm more in the in, in the middle. I'm a, uh, uh, you know, maybe like a Jesse Ventura sort of guy, if you will. But um I have my critiques of both parties, but the Biden administration is doing an abysmal job of handling this. And I just want to see how this plays out, because how are we going to have the conversation about people fleeing their countries, people that are political refugees, people that are escaping abysmal conditions? And we're treating the Haitians like this as a country. It'll make us hypocritical. And we've been hypocritical many times throughout our nation's history. Many, many times. So, you know, I, I, I what I think, what I think honestly this situation shows is the hypocrisy of the American dream. And the American dream is limited to, to many people. The American dream is based on phenotype. I remember George Carlin said it. They call it the American dream because you have to be sleep to believe it, which was a really dope, catchy quote, in my opinion. Um, but this is it's a time for for looking at when do we start to place humanity over race? And that's something we have to work towards as a society. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to find ourselves in these positions where you continue to see uh, brutality. You, you, you're going to continue to see this sort of oppression. And like I said, once again, um, to my Haitian people, remember how you're being treated. Remember the, the images you're seeing. You're being treated like many black Americans have been treated through uh, uh, Reconstruction, the Jim Crow era. Um, you know, when we did protests, even now. You're experiencing that treatment. So it behooves you to not have a condescending view of black Americans. And also, you know, back in the day, organizations like the NAACP and others 
really fought to have people from the Caribbean um, and Africa to be able to come over here. Many people from the Caribbean and Africa came to our HBCUs uh, to get college educated. So there's a symbiotic relationship there that we seem to have lost and that many Africans and people from the Caribbean seem to have a condescending point of view. And so I just want to point that out. Um, and also, I want to point this out to the Democrats, too. Uh, you guys come and you pander for our votes every year. You want black people to come out and vote. And there's really no tangible things that the Democratic Party seems to do for black people. So if you want to vote Democrat, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. Um, I know it's a gubernatorial year. And I'm going to say it right right now. Um, I don't rock with 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 <laughs> with certain individuals, but um, I'm definitely going to go and vote. And, and I don't know. My vote might go towards uh, the, the Democrats for a few specific reasons, more so things going on in my local municipality. But that being said, we have to make sure that um, when we cast our vote, that we hold people's foot, feet to the fire. And at large scale, um, the Biden administration, they need to handle this in a in a fair way. And they need to design pathways for these Haitian people to get citizenship here in the United States. So, look, this has been uh, episode 72 of No Truths Barred. I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and also make sure you're following me on my new Instagram page, which is the underscore No Truths Barred podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, take care. Thanks for the love and support. Until next time. Peace. You just listened to episode 72 of No Truths Barred. And make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is No Truths Barred Podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and peace.